You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your fabulous hosts. And welcome to episode seven. This week, we're going to talk about Richard Osmond's The Thursday Murder Club. But before we get to that, Kimmy, what are you reading? I just finished Writers and Lovers by Lily King. I really loved it. It was one of those books, I don't know if you read, like it was kind of like stream of thought and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's like not really what happened actually in her interactions with people, but like what she was thinking during all those things, which I like those kind of books and it had lots of good lines. I really enjoyed it. Uh, What about you? Well, before I read the Thursday murder club, which I just finished, um, I read an arc called nothing but black and what's an arc. Oh, an arc is an advanced readers copy. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, uh, you can request an advanced reader's copy from the publisher in exchange for a review. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I read an arc called Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw. I wasn't really a fan of it, but I thank NetGalley and the publisher Macmillan Tour for allowing me the chance to read an advanced copy in exchange for an honest review. So I will be posting that review on our socials closer to the time when that book is scheduled to be released. We will have reviews for all of our books that we read on Instagram and Facebook at The Lost Chill. You also may have noticed that we created our own Bookstagram accounts because we wanted to be able to interact with you guys more on an individual level. So please give those a follow if you haven't already. Mine is at Kimmy's Lost Chill and Katie's is Katie's Lost Chill. As usual, this episode will contain spoilers. Without further ado... Let's get the party started. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So Richard Osman, our author here, is very active in the TV industry, and he's hosted several trivia shows on London television, as well as executively producing other shows. So the Thursday Murder Club is a series, and this was the first book, and this just came out in September 2020. The second book is slated to be released later this year in September. Osmond said that he got the idea for the series after visiting a retirement home and finding absolutely interesting people there. And in his acknowledgments, he mentions these folks and encourages them not to murder anyone. Was it acknowledgments that he mentioned his brother is also a writer? Uh, I didn't see that. Oh, I don't know where I saw that, but I saw that he also is. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Family biz. Yeah. Um, So I also found it interesting, too, that he has an eye eye condition called nystagmus that causes diminished vision so he makes sure to learn all of his scripts by heart since it makes it hard to read a prompter i'm sure that this also makes writing a little bit challenging for him as well uh as of this recording this book has an average 4.04 stars on goodreads 
The Thursday Murder Club centers around four old folks who live in the same retirement community, Cooper's Chase, and have created a club for solving murders that meet every Thursday. There's four current members of the club. Elizabeth, who's one of the founders of the club and pretty much can talk her way out of or into anything as a former member of the Secret Service. Here's a name, Kimmy. We pronounce it the same, though, but we don't. We do. Actually, my brain doesn't even want to pronounce it. Mine doesn't either. The correct pronunciation, which we had to actually look up, is Ibrahim. Um, but our brains automatically connect, corrected it to Abraham. Abraham, yeah. But I was like, but that can't be. But is it? Is it weird? I don't know. My brain just, I, I would actually try to pronounce it the right way when I was reading it. But then I would automatically go back to it if I was reading yeah, too fast. Yeah, my, my brain just rejected it and kind yeah. of like... It was just like, uh-uh, we don't like this every time. Okay. So, so I, sorry if that's your name. But so sorry. You know, know, names are a big thing ever since the episode that we did about Addie LaRue. Um, <laughs> so we talk about it a lot. Uh, so yeah, so Ibrahim, 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 Abraham, who is a former <laughs> psychologist. Ron, who used to do public speaking as a former trade union leader. And finally, there's Joyce. Joyce, we get to see excerpts of her diary documenting her view of what's going on throughout the book. Then we also have two police officers who join the club. Donna, who was giving a safety presentation to the club, but that was way beneath them. And they roped her into being some sort of auxiliary member of the club, which I just found absolutely hilarious. Oh, that was hysterical. That, <laughs> they're like, like we don't want to talk about safety. No, no. we already know how to yeah. do this. Yeah. So, and then there's Chris, who's the head detective on the cases, and him and Donna end up working closely together, and then they work side by side with the murder club as well. I think that's funny how the murder club ended up just completely taking advantage of them and roping them oh, both yeah. in. Absolutely. Like, they're like, oh, these little old people, sure, I'll just go over for some crumpets and tea. Yeah. And and have all of their pastries that they make us. And, and they were fucking good. Yeah. Like, how they, like positioned um chris in between everyone yeah. so he's like i can't even hold my coffee yeah. and like made him feel so awkward i mean they totally played both of them and chris yeah, and donna awesome. didn't even realize that they were being played i think maybe donna did because she was just kind of like i like these ladies and well and gentlemen too but she more so gravitated towards elizabeth yeah and um i think that she kind of enjoyed it so I think she knew she was being taken advantage of and played, but she liked it. I think because at first I didn't take them seriously. Yeah. Like, she's like, oh yeah, she's going to try to get me and find out information. Right. But didn't know how deeply she would get information of her own and find out more than the police. Yeah. So I think that's when they're like, wait, you guys are just supposed to be like silly. Like who done it? Who killed the people in our apartment complex? Meanwhile, they're a complete <laughs> one step ahead of them every single time. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. fantastic. <laughs> So the first murder is Tony Curran. I said Curran. 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 Whatever. Tony. Tony. He's the builder for the new development being added to Cooper's Chase. The next murder is of Ian Ventham, who is the owner of Cooper's Chase. Ian is trying to desperately dig up a graveyard that was left on the property from an old convent, which residents are fighting against. There are other bodies and murders that pop up. But we'll get to that in a moment. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth founded the club with her bestie, Penny, when they would go through Penny's old case files from her time as a police officer. 
However, Penny's fallen ill and is unresponsive all the time now and lives in the Willows, which is the nursing home on the same property. And her husband, John, sits by her side diligently with Elizabeth visiting her all the time as well. This story is littered with red herrings. There's Jason Ritchie, who is one of the Thursday Murder member Thursday Murder Club members' son, uh, Ron's son. There's Matthew Mackey, who is a fake priest, or is he? There's Gordon Playfair and his daughter Karen. Uh, Gordon is the property owner of the land that Ian was trying to buy before his death. There's Bobby Tanner slash Pete Ward, a former business partner of one of the deceased, secret name, secret identity, all that. Mm -hmm. There's Bernard Cottle, another resident who Joyce is chummy with and seems to have a big obsession with the graveyard. Oh, well, and Joyce and Joyce had a crush on him. Yeah, it wasn't really reciprocated, though. It didn't ever seem that way. No, because he was really hung up on his deceased wife. So all of these characters had some reason to kill either of the deceased parties. So there's Bogdan Janikowski, who is another one of Ian's business associates who was slated to take over Tony's position. And he was starting to dig up the graveyard. And as he was getting close to a coffin, he found bones on top of that coffin, which obviously that's not where the bones should be. There's also another body inside the coffin as well. Just clarifying. <laughs> Thank you for your service. I don't You're think welcome. we could have inferred that without yeah. you yeah. spelling it out. For I us. need I need to be clear. Yeah. And thank you. no no things lost with inferring. It's nope. it's fine. He brought this information to Elizabeth who did some digging. Uh, hey oh <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> see that was good (laughs) i'm glad you find yourself so hilarious (laughs) she did some digging around to see how old the bones were and how long they had been there that was also pretty awesome how she had so many people to like do all these things for her she had contacts everywhere everywhere it was awesome talk about networking (laughs) you get it girl so the red herrings start getting exonerated one by one. Bernard Cottle offs himself and leaves Joyce a note explaining why he suspiciously sat on a bench by the graveyard every day. And that kind of became clear and explained, yes, he had probably done some questionable things, mm-hmm. but it's not the suspicion that they had originally thought. And so it all made sense. Nothing really illegal either. Right. So then there's the priest who we... Eventually, so, you know, the priest is protecting the graveyard of the sisters at the convent. Mm-hmm. And then they find out, quote unquote, that She's he actually wasn't a priest. But then we find out he actually was. Right. And so it just goes back and forth. Um, like, you know, why did he lie about being a priest? Why did it? But then it turns out that the nun that he fell in love with was actually um, in the coffin in the grave. Mm-hmm. And... He had lived there at the same time with her as a priest and got her knocked up and she ended up committing suicide. Right. And so then he was forced to leave and the church actually just completely expunged him and cleared him out of all their records. And that's why he looked fake. Right. Which that's fucked up in itself on both 
accounts. Like, anyway, the Thursday Murder Club is typically one step ahead of Chris and Donna, which we already kind of talked about. And I frankly just found that absolutely hilarious. Um, They do a lot of shit that they probably shouldn't do, such as digging up the bones that were on top of the grave before notifying the police. Uh, The dynamic between all the characters are pretty great, considering they have kind of developed a quid pro quo sort of relationship since the murder club was going about things a little bit faster. I also loved how the cops would get so mad. (laughs) But she'd talk her way out of it. Right. Every single time. And like, because she'd be like, all right, so we dug up a grave without immediately reporting it to the police. (laughs) Have fun explaining why you're arresting four 80-year-old people who are just going to like pretend and like you're going to look like an asshole, basically. (laughs) The best part was when, I can't remember if it was Elizabeth or one of the other ones who was just like, yeah, we're just going to pretend like we have dementia and don't even know what the hell's going on. Which Ron did multiple <laughs> times, which was also I hilarious. Know. <laughs> These oh, guys man. were just too much. They were just a hoot and a half. So finally, they solved the murder, and it comes completely out of left field that John killed Ian Bentham. What? Who's John? We mentioned him briefly. He was the husband of an original Thursday Murder Club member, Penny. Penny had been a cop. And that's where they originally got started with their cold case that they were working on. And then she was the one who was basically in a coma forever. And John was the one who was sitting quietly with her all the time, listening to Elizabeth talk to her and explain these things. And so what happened was Penny had took matters into her own hand for an unsolved mystery where a boyfriend pretended a burglary had happened and that the suspect shot his girlfriend when really it was domestic violence and he had shot his girlfriend and no one listened to penny so she took matters in her own hands served some justice of her own and killed him and buried him yeah and so john didn't want her to get in trouble so he was worried that when someone found the boyfriend's body that they would know it was her and get her in trouble for murder even though he's still in a coma he still wants to go to those lengths to protect her so that's why he kills ian and the body was on top of the nun's grave correct so that's why he didn't want the graveyard to be dug up and let's just talk about that for a second because john's loyal af and all of this information didn't come out until she was in her late stages of dementia or whatever she kept this secret for X amount of years, Elizabeth didn't know, John didn't know about this at all. And then she kind of was losing her, she's starting to lose her her mind due to dementia or whatever she had going on. And, oh, and she tells John that this is what happened. This is what I did. And he doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't tell Elizabeth. He doesn't, he keeps it to himself. Honestly, there's a part of me that wonders if it never would have been known and Penny would have, quote unquote, gotten away with it if he hadn't killed Ian. (laughs) Like, he brought so much more attention that I don't know. But I mean, do you think that if... How would they have pinned that body on Penny if they didn't pin Ian on John? I don't know. So he probably just brought it all out when it could have up yeah but i can see the loyalty even if it wasn't completely thought through but i think yeah. that it could have all gotten away with it if he hadn't killed ian 
If it wasn't for those meddling kids or those <laughs> meddling old folks. <laughs> Raggy? Is that you? <laughs> then, so there's two kind of quiet husbands, if you will. There's Johnny with Penny. And then there's Stephen with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Who also has dementia. Yes. Or it's alluded to the fact that he has He's dementia. He's like developing dementia, yeah. but Elizabeth doesn't want him sent to the nursing home. So right. she keeps that shit under wraps, doesn't let him out. But eventually, Bogdan, mm-hmm. if you remember him, starts playing chess with him. Mm-hmm. And somehow, after listening to all Elizabeth says, Stephen figures out that Bogdan murdered Tony. Mm-hmm. And Bogdan confesses to him. And so there's no closure. We don't know if he gets caught. We don't know if Elizabeth figures it out, but no. everyone assumes she has. But her husband figures it out and gets him confessed. And Joyce starts to suspect too. Yeah. But I don't really know where Joyce starts to expect, suspect or why. I don't really remember. But it's it's crazy because it's like it leaves on kind of this cliffhanger. So I'm wondering if the next book is even going to touch on that or if it's going to be a continuation or if it's going to be an entirely new story or what's going to happen. Yeah, the other thing that I kind of wondered about was when the murder club figured out it was John, they kind of, like, you know we need to go to the police now, Mm -hmm. so you need to prepare for that. But with Bogdan, it's like two people know, and they're not coming down as hard on him, and Joyce is still letting him do some housework for her. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, if it's cheap labor, you know, as long as they don't kill her. (laughs) True dat. True True dat. Hey, Kimmy, what's the difference between a crusade and a homicide? I don't know. What? One you murder for a book and the other one you're booked for a murder. (laughs) (laughs) All right. With that contemptuously terrible joke, we will be right back. (laughs) Nerd alert. I thought it was hilarious. I know you did. Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old, familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you? There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast, hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy! So at one point during our readings, I texted Kimmy and told her I figured it out. I had an epiphany. (laughs) (laughs) She said that we should keep notes on who we thought it was and what made us think of, of that which is something that we did. So my initial guess was wrong when I first texted her that, but my second one was right. So (laughs) 
Go ahead and share your guesses about who your whodunit was. So I will say that I had the feeling solved before the correct people. The feeling solved? I thought that the murder was done to protect someone else from getting in trouble. Okay, sure. And I, for so long, most of the story, I thought it would be fucking Ron. <laughs> protecting his son that thought crossed my mind because i was like how great would it be if it was a murder club member oh and then they'd be so betrayed and i thought so often that ron wanted to protect his son because they had some weird interactions and he's like don't talk about my son like that and like just you could tell he was fiercely protected he was so that was one of my main guesses there was like this short snippet in time where i thought it would be joyce I thought it would be Elizabeth. Because, oh, no, Elizabeth is, I don't know. I, She's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> she is direct and wonderful. I thought, like, Joyce, especially, like, seeing her diary, uh-huh. I think then we would, like, be oh. able to go back and, like, see the mind of a murder. And I thought it was, like, because she was so amused by everything. She was. She was tickled. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that it would be her, too. And that it would be like seeing the murderer's mind the whole time. And we'd see all these clues if we went back. That's an interesting thought. I, you know, I really enjoyed the whole mystery aspect of this because it was fun to try and guess who it was. Especially when I texted you that. I initially thought it was Bernard. Okay. And I was like... I was so set on that. That's why I texted you. And I was like, I know who it was. <laughs> and then he killed himself. <laughs> and it wasn't him. So um, so then I made some notes here. And I was saying, um, I could see that it was not going to be Bernard before he offed himself. So I did start to think that Jason and Ron had something to do with the murders, or maybe it's just Ron is actually what I wrote. And then the next chapter after that, Jason flat out says to his father that he didn't kill him. So I was like, okay, well, maybe yeah. it's not him. And then my next one, go, I go, could it be Penny's husband? That's my next, <laughs> wow. that was my next line. And then I said, I thought this because he was the one that saw Ian driving away and maybe he wants to keep things interesting uh, to keep telling Penny, uh, like talking to her while she's in her state that she's in. I didn't get the motive right, obviously, but I did get the killer right. Good but it took you. me That's several funny, attempts. I got the motive. <laughs> I know. We could be a team. Oh, like a club? Like a club. When should we meet? Tuesdays at 6 a.m. <laughs> okay. That's also when our podcast comes out. It's very convenient. Oh, that does work out. It does. So well. That's so funny. And there were like other weird things. There was this line that made me think Joyce or Elizabeth that I don't know if I just read wrong where they were looking at people who had been at the convent in the 1970s. Yeah. And Joyce was mentioning not recognizing each other. And so I was like, wait, is her or Elizabeth a nun? And then it like never came back to that. And so that's why I'm like, maybe I had read it wrong. I thought that that was referring to Ron in one of the pictures. Okay. but it, And it turned out to be John who Karen recognized. Oh, maybe. But the way it was just worded in Joyce's diary, I thought yeah. that one of them, like, or she was saying, I don't know if you could recognize us from that time now and how much has changed. Oh, I think that... So I was like, were they both there? Was one of them there? No, I think it's just saying like, you know, this was 40 years ago. We look completely different now. Yeah, and maybe I just read too much into yeah, it then. Yeah, I think that's all it was trying to say. So. So. 
Unfortunately, elderly folks are seen as uninteresting, feeble, and sometimes a burden to their families in our current society. Not by all. Not by me. Not by me at all. Do you like that the author chose elderly characters? Fucking loved it. (laughs) This had three of my favorite things. Thursdays? The third day? No! But that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe four of my favorite things. (laughs) But three of my favorite things. Old folks, murder, and Brits. (laughs) (laughs) I love London and... I just love it. I've never been. We were planning on going this year, but thanks, Rona. But <laughs> I just love the culture. Strange, I know. But I may have pretended to have an English accent when I was little for a little while. Oh, you did. And what happened if the kids made fun of you and said, why are you talking like that? I would say, like what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also... An accent chameleon, meaning that when somebody has an accent and they talk to me, I am embarrassing and I immediately adapt to their accent. I've done that too, but <sighs> I was in sixth grade. I oh. like to think that I stopped that. I did it I had two a British years ago. teacher in sixth grade. Oh God, that would have been amazing. It was. <laughs> I bet it was. Um, I will also say I think it was a generational thing because of like the Spice Girls. Madonna did it. She that pretended was before my time. No, it was not. It was Madonna was never during my time. Madonna was during your time. Mm, she too became old for me. no, 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 no. That's fake news. She uh, came back in the early two thousands. Older than me who liked her. What? She did not come back. Yes, she Britney did. Britney Spears came back, and Madonna tried to kiss her. That's when that all happened. When Meh. she pretended to have the British accent, like what? Yeah, that like, went way over my head. I only Google. cared about anyway. Britney. So, anyways, but anyways, I think it was a cultural yes. thing, not because of Madonna, because of the Spice Girls. Sure. But I'll give you that. But about my accent chameleons, I've also gone on a British Airways flight and they said, hello, good afternoon. And I go, hello. <laughs> oh, bloody hell, Caitlin. And my husband about died of embarrassment. So it's fine. I sneeze on planes yes, and embarrass you do. my friends of yes, embarrassment. Yes, you do. She sneezes really loud. And then when you're at the front of the plane and somebody says, bless you in the back of the plane, you're definitely riding with Kimmy. It was great times. But anyway, we have digressed <laughs> way lot. too much. Let's reel it in here. Um, anyway. So I think back to the author choosing elderly yeah. characters. I think that was a really great. Um, and w- one of my quotes about that. I even loved was I think it was one of the males he was saying how much he loved it and how alive the community was it had so many ridiculous committees politics arguments gossip new arrivals and farewells Um, but he said it was a community and in Abraham's opinion that was how human beings were designed to live that's something I personally agree with I think the world gets too big sometimes yeah and, you know, you go all these completely different places, completely jobs. People have huge commutes. So their world is, like, really large while they never know the people next to them. Yeah. And so I think communities like this are really great because all that comes back to being so small. Sure. Like a small town, but even smaller. You know everyone. You know all their goings-ons. You know their kids. And it's just a really great community. And I think that was a great fit for this book. It was. And I just like that they chose – that the author chose – to use elderly characters because 
they're a part of our society that's sometimes forgotten about and maybe not represented as much in literature and in current um, modern day fiction. So I think it's fantastic that this is just a different view of a murder mystery. And it, it kind of makes you just want to go be with old people too. And, you know, they have so many stories to tell. They have so much life left. And the more that their minds are kept busy, the longer they can typically hang around. Um, fun gift idea. Yeah. If you ever want. Uh, we actually got it for my mother-in-law mm-hmm. this year is a place to do just that. You touched on all their stories they have. Uh-huh. Um, it was this book where it's like a guided diary, you could say. Oh, I've seen those. But it's a yeah. place to like fill in your stories. So if you're listening to this mother-in-law, I can't wait to get that back. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your stories. So. I, those stories, you know, those are stories that your kids' kids will be able to tell read and read. And, and, yeah, and that's so cool. And That's why I love it. It's really great to give parents, grandparents, everyone, because who knows what stories that you might not get to come up, mm-hmm. you know, that's in there that you might never think to ask. And it's pretty cool to be able to yeah. learn them. I'm going to take this conversation. We're going to take a little bit of a detour to why I also enjoyed the elderly uh, community <laughs> being represented here. Okay. I was extremely close with my grandmother growing up. Loved her to pieces. She was basically a second mother to me. Every week, we had our shows that we would watch together. I don't know if you know this show. Murder, She Wrote. Well, I love that show. (laughs) Angela Lansbury is the queen. But we also watched Diagnosis Murder. (laughs) I've never watched either of these shows. (laughs) Have you heard of Diagnosis Murder? No. It's with Dick Van Dyke and his real-life son. Do not give me that look. I'm, I'm just, you. You have judgment all over your face. It's not judgment. It is my. I am completely unsurprised by the levels of your nerdiness and how they know no bounds, <laughs> and they never have, and they never will. I always surprise you with something new, though. Yeah, I learned so much, and for that, I am grateful. I love Dick Van Dyke, and he's a national treasure. Him and Betty White. <laughs> Another. Someone please check on her. <laughs> status check. Status check, Betty White. Status <laughs> check. So moving on. There's a few points throughout the book where Joyce mentions how you rarely know when it's your final time. And Elizabeth wonders, has Stephen captured his last king? How did those thoughts make you feel? So I will say that I think that the not knowing is part of what makes those things special. Um, when Joyce was mentioning it, she was talking about fun they had in their youth of going to these plays and shows and having just a hoop mm-hmm. with their group of friends. And that, I think, if they had known it was the last time, it would have been it would have been special and hard to say goodbye. But they had no idea when that would fizzle or stop. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what helped cement it in. And I think, I mean, how do you say goodbye? I think it would take something away from it in a way. And Elizabeth, uh, she was referring to her husband playing chess, which he did daily all the time. And that was one of those mundane things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this was more, she was concerned about his mind. And so she liked seeing him play chess because that 
shows his mind is still working and that he still knows how. And so it's kind of mundane, kind of not. And I think, oh gosh, it made me feel all the things because I've known people who died and that's where your mind goes to, especially like, yes, you replay all the memories, but one of the strongest ones that you just can't get over is that last time yeah, and how you didn't know and how you would have held on longer. Yeah. And I think that's part of it because if you know him the last time, you probably would never have let it in just right. did everything you can to stay there forever. Or it would have just been so focused on being the last time that it couldn't be special in another way. That that's all that you're thinking about. So then right. you miss out on something else like that could have... Can't enjoy exactly you can't be present because you're worrying about it being over exactly you're so far ahead in the future that you cannot enjoy what's right in front of you and i think that it's probably a good thing that we don't know that so i also highlighted that text in the book as well because it was poignant as hell because it's like yeah you get so excited about all of the firsts in your life because you know that they're your first and you know all of that but then you never really know when the lasts are going to be which is just crazy to think about. I've never thought about that before. I don't know why, but it blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of too makes me think, I don't know if you've seen it about parenting mm-hmm. of how, you know, there's so many firsts with kids, so many yep. all the time, every daily, day. mm-hmm. but it almost was told from the perspective of an adult and yourself, like there was a last time your mom held you and you were in your life. I don't want to talk about this. Stop. No. (laughs) But it's like, it's true. Like, and you never think about that. Like, when's the last time I picked up my older son? And it's been a few years because he's huge now and bigger than me. And, but there was a last time and I had no idea it would be the last time. Probably yelled at him. You're too big. Get off me. (laughs) But I think that's something too that just increases the older you get. But there's there's lasts and they're sad and bittersweet. This also reminded me of how we've touched on if you know that kind of makes it worse. The whole relationship with Penny and Elizabeth and how hard that must have been, but also how enjoyable it was in that... She didn't just die. It was not this clean cut thing. It was basically her friend was dead, but there was a body with a heart still beating that mm-hmm. she could go talk to that was completely unresponsive back. Yeah. I think that made it a little worse. Definitely. And then her husband ends up killing her, which she knew that that's what was going to happen. She knew that as soon as she confronted John about that, that he was going to well, he, she saw him pull out the needle to kill her. As soon as she confronted yes. him about killing Ian. Yes. And then he, she knew that he was also going to go home and kill himself, which is what he ended up doing. But, I mean, I thought about that a lot. And it's like, it's probably a, a good thing that that happened. I hate to say that because she was just a shell of her former self anyway. She wasn't there. Like you said, it was just a body with a heartbeat. And I sometimes think that that's a lot harder than just saying goodbye, unfortunately. Um, I think there was for sure a comfort to be able to go talk to her and see her and pretend or tell yourself or truly believe, I don't know which one, maybe all three, that she was listening. 
I don't know. I mean, what's the difference between talking to a body that's just basically existing as opposed to talking to a, a headstone or, or something? Right, exactly. A picture. And I think, too, it's it's hard to at that age because if we think about times that would happen when someone was younger, like mm-hmm. in a car accident, yeah, there's so much hope that they'll get yeah. out of it and come back. And that's why. But, you know, at this age... She's at the end of her road, yeah. unfortunately. And so it's like... There's no hope. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know. Is it better to have it random and not know, but never really get to say that goodbye or this long drawn out goodbye that never ends, but there's no coming back from either. I think both suck. I do. Both, both suck immensely in their own rights. And my heart ached for Elizabeth so much. I know. That was her best friend. I know. You know, it was just... You never even got to know her. No, we I didn't. I bet she was a hoot. Penny was a fucking hoot. I know she was. You I had to she... be with Elizabeth. Yes. You had to be down for trouble. <laughs> so maybe maybe um, the author will surprise us down the road and maybe we'll get a prequel oh, that'd to be nice. this book and see what Penny and Elizabeth were like together before, Eliz- uh, before uh, Penny was ill. Yes. That would be lovely. Richard Osman, if you are listening to this podcast right now, Penny, 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 Penny. <laughs> give us a prequel, please. Let us please. see. Let the us see who Penny yeah. was. We're dying to know who Penny was. <laughs> I see what you did there again. Penny, for your thoughts. Dying to hear. It. No, don't don't talk about Penny like that. You said it. I thought that was your intentional pun. Oh my! But it worked out that way. Oh, well, You're welcome you. for my service. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, moving right along, switching up characters now. Once again, your favorite topic of mother and daughter relationships came up. In the Four Winds, it was more closely to the age that your daughter and you are now. In this book, it's further in the future, mm-hmm. where the daughter is grown, working, and out on her own, and the mother is older and retired having all her opinions, but wanting her close. The relationship seems to grow throughout this book where Mm -hmm. Joyce felt like she was walking on eggshells around Joanna to them kind of coming back together and having a adult mother and daughter relationship. How did you feel as you watched the progress of this? I felt that this was due to Elizabeth. Does that make sense? (laughs) Because she's the puppeteer. She is. She orchestrated for basically Joanna to get involved in the murder club in in her own way by looking at financial statements, which was brilliant. And I think that Joyce really sensed that, or I'm sorry, that Elizabeth sensed that Joyce needed that relationship repaired. And Elizabeth is just a fucking badass when it comes (laughs) to people in general. She just had this way with every person that came into her life and she could talk them into whatever she wanted them to do. So I think that Elizabeth coming into Joyce's life was such a blessing for this relationship because it was so cute at the end of the book, how invested um, Joanna had become in their little murder club and talking to them. And she really started to appreciate Joyce, I think, um, and not not be so estranged. I can see definitely how Elizabeth orchestrated this. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was also predestined 
if we go back to the knowledge of Rose. Rose and the Four Winds? Yeah. Rose, we're going back. Because remember how she said they love you in the Mm. beginning of their life? You're going to break me again. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie. (laughs) And then it's a little tense and they give you hell. (sighs) And then at the end of your life, it comes back around. No, Joyce still has a lot of time left. Okay, she does. Yep. Richard Osmond, please confirm. Joyce has time. You're not taking her away. You're not taking Elizabeth away. Okay. Yes, they're probably the immortals. They are. They are. (laughs) They are also national treasures in London. They are worldwide treasures. Wow. World treasures. Global treasures. Global. Wow. Yeah. I just think that you're just going to keep bringing that up in every single episode and you just like to see me squirm. We have so many purple elephants, if you will. I see what you did there. Yeah. We have so much that keeps coming up in every book. We do. We have the mother and daughter themes. We yep. have chess in every, every single book, book including nope. this one. Not outlawed. Chess was not an outlawed. It wasn't? Oh. I don't believe it was. Okay. But there were other themes that were present there that were not yeah. in this book. But it's it's just like these constant <laughs> little Easter eggs, if you will. Easter eggs, yes. Are you familiar with that term? Mm, yes, I think so. It's okay. something to do with Taylor Swift, right? She does them. Yes. She is a pro at them. She is. They're sometimes in movies too. So it's not. And just video her. games. Video games? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's what Ready Player One's all about. Oh. Apparently, okay. like they. I don't know if it was the first one ever, mm. but they say that the first known Easter egg in a video game was because these video game designers would spend all this time developing these videos. And the companies wouldn't give them any credit, like not even their names. So in one of them, this guy hid his name in a secret level and they didn't know about it. That's amazing. Until the game went out and was out for months and someone found it and it started just coming up. That's amazing. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Easter eggs are a lot of fun. If you don't know what we're talking about, Taylor Swift is basically a genius with Easter eggs and drops them all the time. (laughs) Lyrical genius, if you will. And it's also, there's another one that keeps coming up, Taylor Swift. Yeah, she does. And books. We talk about books? From time to time, they've come up. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I talked about movies in the first episode, so it's fine. (laughs) So, and names. Names. Oh, gosh. Not only the pronunciation of them, but the weight of them. Yes. Um, So, speaking of names, our friend James, who also has a podcast, The Death Metal Disco, (laughs) he (laughs) he also did an episode recently about the power of names and um talks a lot about names on there so names are just they're magical and powerful and it's it's just interesting it's interesting because how this all comes up it's all it does you know what one of my biggest thoughts has always been it's like you you really focus on what your child's name is going to be when you're when you're still pregnant with them and you know, is does this is this gonna fit them or whatever? And then it's like they're a couple years old and you're like, I can't imagine this kid being any other name. And it's like they've really grown into their names. So one of the things in Roots, mm-hmm. so the beginning of that is when they were still in their village in Africa and their culture was that the dad picked the name. Uh-huh. But it like carried so much weight and was so sacred 
that he wouldn't tell anyone until he told the child. Like really? he, like the baby would be born and the dad would take him and like whisper his name in his ear. And I love that. Be his name. So it was like this really big special thing that took a lot of thought and time. Did you do that with your kids? Because Kimmy kept her kids' names a secret, even from um, basically everybody except her husband. <laughs> she even kept it from her other children. Yeah. Uh, uh, my son was the first to know my first daughter's name. That was a promise we made him. Mm-hmm. We did not make that promise again <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't necessarily see her as fast as he saw the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we kept it secret until they knew, I guess. Yeah. So that was a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we kept trying to guess and call them other things. So it was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so Elizabeth was the founder of the club and was obviously the strongest, most persuasive member and fast talking character. However, we see Joyce's diary. Why do you think that we see Joyce's diary and not Elizabeth's and not because she's the killer like <laughs> you initially thought? Right. So that's why I thought was to like throw us off the scent of Joyce. <laughs> um, I also think... A big part of Elizabeth's allure, if you will, Uh is how mysterious she is. Like, how is she making all these connections? How is she doing all this stuff? Where did she get that from? And so I think it didn't want to reveal too much for her. Going hand in hand with that, I also don't think she had time for that. That's a good point. Because, first of all, Elizabeth had Penny to visit with, her best friend. Yeah. She had her husband to take care of and make sure he was doing okay staying on his routine. She had murders to solve and connections to make. <laughs> what else could she do? Yeah. Where Joyce had all this free time of just being open enough to go wherever Elizabeth would take her, try to woo Bernard. Yeah. Hang out with her daughter when her daughter gave her time. Yeah. And then right. Joyce had much more time to do it. I think that's a great point. Um, do you think that maybe in the next book we'll see Elizabeth's perspective in the diary form because she doesn't have Penny anymore? I don't think so. I don't think she'll have time. No. I wish she did. Yeah. Um, if you recall, I see myself as Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> you too. With Lindsay being Joyce. Yeah. But I think I would be more likely to write than Lindsay. Yes. So, I mean, there's that strange thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't think it necessarily fits with Elizabeth's character. I think you're right. I think that's definitely more of... Joyce. I thought it was cool to see a little behind the scenes. I like it too. And I liked how unique her voice was. Yeah. How you could tell she was so tickled with everything. She was. She was just so, she was having the time of her life and it was amazing to see. And I think it was so good for her to, to find this. And I loved how Joanna recognized that too. Yeah. She's like, I thought you coming here would be like so dull and drab and the end of your road. And it would just kind of be so melancholy and sad. But I've seen you come alive here. And I think maybe that kind of helped their relationship as well. Because not only was Joanna seeing that, but here's Joyce having that new life breathed into her as a widow, as trying to find herself again without a husband in a new community, in a new home with maybe people that she doesn't know as well as where she used to live, um, not being employed anymore, being retired. So you have to find yourself again. And she found herself and then some with these three other hooligans and (laughs) and Donna and Chris too. And it's just these characters, I'm telling you, made this story what it was. They did. I loved them. 
they there's <laughs> I can't I just love them so much my heart just gushes for them I just want more of them and Kimmy was talking to me off air about how she didn't think that the story you know there were some parts of the story that she didn't really care for because it was convoluted towards the end there were so many characters to keep track of or whatever but it's these six main characters that really made this book what it was and it really brought this story what to life. What six are you counting? The four. Right? And then Chris and Donna. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're like counting Penny and no, 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 no. Steven or something. No, no, no. Okay. No, uh, Chris and Donna because they're auxiliary members. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> All right. I agree. The characters completely made it. And there were lots on the side, which I think, I mean, probably is helpful for a murder mystery of who's important, who's not, what am I missing, that kind of thing. Well, I think that there needed to be a lot of red herrings to just to kind of throw you off the scent because, I mean, obviously it worked with us. It did. So you had to have that. Yeah. So going with that, then Penny's husband, John, killed another to protect his wife. She already wasn't doing well, was in a coma. What do you think about that decision? And do you think he should have just left well enough alone? Well, we've kind of already touched on this, but I think that you brought up a great point that I really didn't necessarily think of when I was reading it about how he probably would have gotten away with it. Or she would have gotten away with it, I should say, if it weren't for him meddling in this shit. Like, there wouldn't have even... There had only been one murder. And I don't necessarily know how they would have connected that to her although i guess elizabeth was probably getting close because if you recall that's how she invited joyce into the thursday murder club yes and she asked her a question like is this possible and going backing up even further so her and elizabeth used to get these cold cases and try to solve them together when elizabeth went into a coma she started looking through those files and she found this random one where she's like why did she never present this to the Thursday yeah. Murder Club? Yeah. And lo and behold, it's the body of bones that they found in the graveyard at the property. It's just a crazy string of events. And it probably wouldn't have gotten back to her. Maybe. I mean, I think that even if Elizabeth figured it out, she's not going to go say anything about her bestie. She's loyal. Look at what she did with John. She's loyal, but she is also, she has her inner compass of right and wrong. Sure. And so I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, she confronted John, didn't call the police that night. But she said, like, we're turning you in. You know this. Yeah, but she knew what he was going to go do. I don't know. I think it would be different with her best friend. There's a level of maybe wanting to protect her. I don't know. I don't know. We'll We'll have to guess on what would have happened? You know, it's very hard, I think, to grasp the reality of murder. Uh-huh. Because that is a very common, like, now cliched running joke of friends everywhere. You know, I'd help you bury the body. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Like, that's something like, oh, I'd kill for you. Like, mm-hmm. your friend gets dumped. Like... Who do we need to go beat up or murder even? Like, Whoever you're mad at, I'm mad at. And it's this huge joke, right? Yeah. Like, And it's very common. Like, <laughs> This is a way we express how deep our love and loyalty goes mm-hmm. to say we would do anything for each other. And that seems like kind of the worst of things to, to say, like, I commit a crime with you would really prove <laughs> my loyalty. But I don't necessarily think 
that's true if people really think about it. Because I think in theory, you could say like, yeah, Kimmy, if you killed someone, I'd totally have your back and cover up for you and be loyal and take your secret to my grave. Don't ever put me in that situation. Exactly. (laughs) There's that. Because you think you'd be loyal, but if your friend genuinely murdered someone, even if you knew the reasons why or not, they wouldn't necessarily be who you think they are. You're right. So that'd be a betrayal of its own. So they just betrayed you by being doing something you never thought they were capable of. How are you still going to be loyal betrayed uh, in that way? It changes yeah. the dynamics, I would imagine. I mean, if you go into a relationship knowing that they're a murderer, I guess that's one thing. <laughs> like in jail? <laughs> <laughs> or like like a mob or something. Like <laughs> your mob friends. <laughs> like the Sopranos. Like you know that they off people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's that, I guess. So you already expect it. Sure. <laughs> so sure. you can't say that you won't back them up. <laughs> but seriously, don't ever put me in that situation. <laughs> don't put me in that situation. That's terrible. Deal. Deal. So now we just can never use that cliche with each other again. Cause now sure we, know. we can. Cause oh, okay. It's never going to happen. What's in your backyard right now? My husband. <laughs> I'm only kidding. For legal purposes, this is a joke. Or he's my... doing yard work. Yes. <laughs> I didn't say what's buried back there. Why do you seem so shifty about this? He's doing yard work. Oh, okay. Fertilizing? Fertilizing things. <laughs> making things grow massively. What? We have large trees because of the fertilizer that we use. That's awesome. So, Kimmy, when we're old and living our golden girl's life with Lindsay, can we have a Tuesday murder club? Since our podcasts come out on Tuesday. And we're still going to be doing those in six so, years. The way I envision this is... This line? No. Oh, you're answering my question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Weirdo. <laughs> so, obviously, we'll be retired. Mm-hmm. We won't have jobs. Nope. In, in the, Florida. In we're going to Florida, yes, right? We're going to yeah. be warm. Yes, warm. So, Fuck the cold. We'll have all this free time. So, I think we'll need three clubs. Three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we all have such different interests. We do. You would literally be the only one who cares that much about murder. Okay. Yes. Lindsay would want a baking club. Yes. I think, I don't know, maybe book club. But I can find something else. We already have that. We don't have a book club. Is it a club if it's only two people? Yeah. Why not? So our marriages are all clubs? (laughs) Yeah. You and me, we're in a club now. (laughs) Um... Okay, so I'll I'll think about my club. Okay. Are we going to have four then? Are we going to continue book club? Of course. We're going to continue this forever and ever and ever okay. until one of us dies, and then we won't be replaced because or that's We'll rude. just have like our daily topics. <laughs> well, because I don't know if necessarily we need a baking club for Lindsay. Because no, she, she can just bake for us. Yeah, she needs to bake for all the other clubs. Yeah. I don't necessarily Kind of like what help. Joyce was doing Yeah, Joyce, with all of her baking for everybody Joyce as well. That. Yeah. Um, we can have Which a- is why Lindsay is Joyce. <laughs> Yes. And I was Abraham, Abraham, just giving all the information that nobody wants. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> You're welcome for my service. So, yeah, I guess we can solve some murders. I'll pick a club or something. Okay. Lindsay, you can also pick a club if you if we're not going to have a baking club, but you need to bake She's for a all craft the clubs. Club. She's a craft club. Craft club, okay. Yeah. Will you teach me how to knit? I don't want to crochet. I want to knit. She knows how to knit. I don't know how to teach knit. Teach me how to knit. Teach me how to Dougie. Teach me how to knit. No? Yes. Okay. 
So is that does that work with you for our yes. retirement plan? As long as it's somewhere warm. I don't give a fuck what we're doing. Are we going to do water aerobics? Sure. We also need bingo night. How fuck much, yes. How many? I love bingo. Is our week full yet? Because I can yeah. keep going. Okay. Oh my gosh. This we're going to have best. so much can, time for Can activities. we retire now? <laughs> yes. Okay. And do just a podcast yeah, all the time? All the time. <laughs> the dream so we've been a little bit silly this episode but this has just been a really fun book but as you might know we have a tlc rating system for every book we read of one through five stars five is an all-time favorite book four is great i want to find more books by this author three this was a solid book it was really good two not very good could have lived without reading it and one why the fuck did i waste my time on this rubbish see another brit term rubbish bloody hell no what was it? No, bloody hell's a thing. Oh, no, so, blue murder. Yeah. So one thing we notice in this book, if you're, we have some listeners over across the pond in the United Kingdom. We're in Hello. America, obviously. <laughs> um, so one thing we noticed is that they didn't say bloody a lot in this book. No, it's just bludgeoning. But bludgeoning a lot. So a stereotypical to us, Brit term is bloody. Mm-hmm. to describe things like yeah. bloody brilliant and bloody hell and all these things. So it blew my mind when, where Americans would say someone was screaming bloody murder. Mm-hmm. The one time we use bloody. Right. In the book for what Brits say, it was, he, she was screaming blue murder. Like what the hell is that? I had never heard that term before. No, so, so that made us laugh. And if you're from the UK or London or, Somewhere across the pond, and you're familiar with that term, educate us because I'm not familiar with it at all. Is it like sh- screaming as you're getting strangled? Just do maybe, maybe Brits just kill people more quietly so they turn blue while Americas do more of the typical bludgeoning and get it bloody? I don't know. I don't know. Explain it to us. Anyway, Kimmy, what do you rate this book? <laughs> so, question. If we automatically want to read his next one, both of us, which mm-hmm. we do, yeah, does that make it a four? You know, I was actually thinking about this while we were discussing this, because I did mark it as a three, but I really want to read the next book because these characters are badass. We're attached to them. So I think by default, because this takes it even further, mm-hmm. I think, because for anything by the other author yep. is a love for a style. Correct. We love it enough. That we not only want to return to the author, but we want to return to the characters. So I, so think, I think it has to be a four. I think it does. And I'm right there with you. Um, these characters made this story. It's not very often that you find such characters that are just so magical in every way that even their bad parts you love. And it's just, I couldn't <laughs> get enough of them. I, I really couldn't. Either. So we will definitely be reading the next one when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to have to give this one a four then. Definitely. So we hope you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. We want to hear your thoughts too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and also our new personal ones, if you recall, Kimmy's Lost Chill. And Katie's Lost Chill. While you're there, tell us your thoughts on this book. Give us a follow. And you can always know what books are on the horizon and the other books that don't make it to the podcast. And also don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning just in time to have with your coffee and maybe a murder club. I don't know. Just a suggestion. (laughs) Just suggesting. (laughs) 
Next week, we will be discussing The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. And the following week, we're going to be discussing Nick by Michael Ferris Smith. That is the prequel written by another author to The Great Gatsby. We also have our full schedule for the month of March and April listed on Facebook and Instagram. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show. We can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Aww. <laughs>